Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So we are so grateful to have you with us today. And also want to welcome in all of those in Prescott Valley this morning. Uh, so grateful to have you with us as well. If you are a newcomer with us, i uh, love the opportunity to connect with you. If you're in Prescott Valley, somebody on our team, uh, you can go Go out to Connection Central or here at our Prescott campus. Uh, if you go out to the lobby, off to the left, uh, we have a place we call Pastor's Point, and I'll be hanging out there after the service. Would love to meet you there. Um, and you, if you're here for the first time, you are ending with us this series that we've been in the book of Romans. We've spent, I think, like 40 two or 43 weeks working our way through the book of Romans, and we are wrapping it up today. And for those of you who have been here through the whole thing, then I want to offer my sincere congratulations to you for enduring with us. When we started this series, I had a My desire through this was that each of us would have a deeper understanding and affection of the gospel of Jesus. And my hope is through all of our preaching, but especially this one, is that we would help fulfill our mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus through the book of Romans. And so we we do uh, know that we've made or God has made through this series more disciples of Jesus. Since we began this series uh, 10 months ago, we've had over 100 people get baptized through our preaching through Romans. So yeah, that is definitely, that's definitely worth celebrating. The question is, have we made any better disciples of Jesus? So that's a little harder, that's a little harder to, uh, to quantify. And so one of the things that we did when we started this series is we, we started a podcast. We called it the Gospel for Everyone that goes along with our series. And when it comes to talking about have we made any better disciples of Jesus, we just need to trust you to tell us. So we want to hear your stories. So if you were here last week and you got the updated app, the first thing you should see on the front page of your app is a link that, that will connect you to a form that 
that you can fill out to tell us how has God changed your life through the study of the book of Romans? How has he grown your faith or grown your obedience? How has this book impacted your family or your marriage? What has God clarified for you? What have you learned about the gospel that's been encouraging for you? How have you seen God working in your life? We want to hear those stories. So on our podcast this week, if you haven't listened to the podcast yet, you can go to wherever you get your podcast. We want to share your stories. So please, over the next uh, 12 to 18 hours, take a moment and share with us what God's done in the book of Romans in your life. And so we just want to spend our time on our podcast this week just listening to your stories of how God has used this book to change your life. So that's what we want to do to encourage our people. Today, we're wrapping up this series, and we're going to... We're going to do today, as we've done throughout the series, we made a commitment at the very beginning of this series that we were going to read the entire book of Romans out loud during our services. So today we are down to the very last 10 verses. So if you have your Bibles or if you got your notebook, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Romans chapter 16. We invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to read these last 10 verses of the book of Romans. So Pick it up in chapter 16, verse 17, and we'll go through the end of the book, which is verse 27. And this is the word of the Lord. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, and my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church enjoy here, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we are grateful for your word, for a chance to gather together today and to sit under what you have to speak in us today. 
Thank you for your church. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So now we come to the very end of the book of Romans. And as we come to the end of this letter to the Christians in Rome, I want you to notice how Paul begins the end. He begins the end with a warning. Now, it's kind of, I read this and I, it's kind of like um, when your kids are leaving, right? And you're putting them in the car and everybody, you've, all the family's been together and you hug and you cry and you say your goodbyes and you're wiping it off. And then they are all kind of heading to the car. And as the kids are about to load into the car, you, you shout as they're walking down the sidewalk, the last warning, wherever they're going, like, be careful. Don't drink and drive. Don't talk to strangers. Don't stay up too late. Don't go to so-and-so's house. Put on your seatbelt, or there's a chance you'll end up face down dead in a ditch. Love you. <laughs> I don't ever know why it's always face down dead in a ditch, but that's the way we're all going out, apparently. <laughs> Just pause for a second, okay? I want you to think about, as Paul is writing to Christ followers in the city of Rome in the first century. Now, if you, knowing what you know, if you had the opportunity to give those believers a warning, what would you warn them about? Like you got one last thing, one last shout to warn them about being a Christian in the first century in the city of Rome, what would you warn them about? I think I would be something like, um, hey, stay away from the Colosseum, like you could end up being lion food, right? Or stay away from all of the temples, like they will lead you astray. Or if Nero invites you to come be a light at his party, run, okay? Like there's a lot of warnings that Paul could have given these believers, but he doesn't address any of those issues. Look, look at his warning. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So Paul does not address any of the dangers that might come to the first century Christians in Rome. He doesn't address any of the dangers that might come from the outside. His greatest fear and his greatest last warning is connected to the dangers that are lurking on the inside. And what's the first one on the list? Those who cause divisions. Those who cause divisions. Now, I don't know why it is that we in the church take this issue so lightly. Like in the church world, we condemn a lot of sin. 
We condemn a lot of sin, adultery, pornography, lying, unforgiveness, anger, drunkenness. Like we talk about this stuff and we condemn it rightly. And we would not tolerate people who are openly participating in these behaviors in our midst. Like we wouldn't tolerate it. Yet in way too many churches, way too often, we just, we just seem to let people's divisive words and actions and attitudes just slide right on by. Like we just ignore it. And yet, all throughout Scripture, divisiveness is a sin that we are told over and over and over again should never be tolerated among the people of God. Let me just give you some examples of where we see this in Scripture. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to all of you, to agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. That's the command. Be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. No divisions. Jude writes it this way. These people are grumblers, fault finders, They follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves, and they flatter others for their own advantage. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. He says, these people who divide you, they are the grumblers, they are the fault finders, they are following their own evil desires, and you can be certain, Jude says, they are not filled with the spirit of God. They are, they're acting out of their own natural instincts and do not have the spirit. You want to know somebody who is not filled with the spirit of God? Just look around and see who's grumbling, fault finding, and divisive. You can guarantee those people don't have the spirit. They're not. They're, they're acting out of their own flesh and fulfilling their own evil desires. There are six things the Lord hates. This is Proverbs. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. A haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are sh- uh, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. There are six things, seven, he says, seven that are detestable to God. And one of them is people who stir up conflict among the people. And he lists that, he lists that right alongside of murderers, people who, who rush into evil, people who are shedding innocent blood, people who sit on a witness stand and just pour out lies. And the same list of people He puts those who stir up conflict. They are detestable. That action is detestable. The Lord hates it. He hates it. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Again, look at, we, we ignore this divisiveness piece. And he listed right alongside of idolatry, sexual immorality, orgies, envy. Like these are on the same list. And he says, you can guarantee, I tell you, I warn you, I warn you, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom. They won't. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them because you can be sure such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. Like this is a huge deal to God. Divisiveness among the people of God is a huge deal to God. And it has eternal implications. He says they are condemned. The question is, why is it such a big deal? I mean, it's not like murdering people. No, it's not. It's actually worse. You know why it's worse? Jesus tells us why. Because any, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Any kingdom. If the people of God are divided, they will not stand. If any house is divided, including this house, it will not stand. It will fall. And that has dire consequences, not just for the people who are in the house, but for every person that this house is supposed to bring to Jesus. It's a huge deal. Which is no wonder why Paul at the end of the book says, stay away from them. And so with all of the clarity and conviction that I have today, I want to plainly say to you that if you desire to be divisive, you are not welcome here. If you are here to cause dissension and grumble and create any type of disunity, then we kindly invite you to leave. The mission that we are on, that we have been given by our Savior, is way too important to allow you to create fissions and fractures and break apart what God is trying to build among his people. Doesn't mean we can't have clarifying conversations around mission and vision. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we don't call each other out on our sin when we, when we see it. Doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything that is said and done. There are disputable matters. We've already talked about that. But it does mean that if you ever find yourself framing a conversation to whereby you are trying to convince people that you're right and somebody else is wrong, or, or you're framing a conversation trying to get people to agree with you and disagree with others, if you're part of any group that forms out of rebellion because you don't like the options that are given, then it would be better for you just to move on than to be divisive among the people of God. I think it's high time
that we as God's people begin to take this warning as seriously as scripture takes this warning. This is a huge deal. Again, it doesn't mean that you can't disagree with something or someone, but when we do it, we're going to do it biblically and we take our concerns to the people that we are disagreeing with or have an issue with and we do not vent our disagreements to those around us because what you call venting, scripture calls gossip. So here's my ask. If you're in a group, be it a life group, a discipleship group, a Bible study, or a serve team, or just a circle in the lobby, and you hear someone being divisive, it is your responsibility to call it out, to warn that person. Paul commands that in the end of the book of Romans, that's his warning. And this warning isn't for the leaders of the church in Rome. It's to the brothers and sisters in the church of Rome. And his warning is, tell them to knock it off or stay away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Because the work of God is too important. And while it may, while it may be, I think it is nearly impossible for, the, for a church to be taken down by outside forces. We all know churches, and many of you have been a part of churches that have been taken down, destroyed from the inside out because of divisiveness within the body. And so let's agree that that's not going to happen here, at least not on our watch. Now, with that warning laid down, Paul moves on to some encouragement and some exhortation. And here's what he says. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So first is some encouragement. Hey, everywhere I go, all the people I talk to, everybody has heard about your obedience. And Paul says, even though I've never been there, I rejoice because of you. That's so good, church. Way to go. You are an obedient people. When you hear the word of God, you actually put it into practice. That's so good. Then he adds this exhortation. But, 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 but. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. In other words, I don't want you just to obey when somebody tells you something. That's good. You should do that. But there's another step to take. He's like, but I want you to be discerning. Like, I want you to understand right from wrong and do the right. One commentator put it this way. He says, he says essentially what Paul is saying is, I want you to be experts in good and not even beginners at evil. Like that's, that's the idea here. Beyond just doing what you're told, being obedient, Paul says we should be masters at the things that are good and we should be completely incompetent at things that are evil. Does that describe you? A master at the things that are good and incompetent at things that are evil. Then Paul offers this picture of hope. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
All of you early 90s youth group kids won't get that song out of your head. Anybody? Anybody? Got a couple down here? All right, we can sing it for you later. But don't miss the encouragement here. Paul says to these group of believers in the city of Rome, look at what he says. God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Like, don't miss that. Under your feet. Like, God is not going to take Satan out while you're standing in the, on the sidelines cheering him on. He's going to take him out, but he's going to use your loafers. God is going to take him out, and he's going to use you to do it. When the battle is over, it is you who's going to be standing there victorious with the enemy under your feet. Don't miss this. Not only are we going to win the battle over the enemy, Paul promises when the bell rings at the end of the fight, we're going to get, we're going to, get to play this guy. Like he ain't taking him out while we're standing around watching. He goes, no, he's going down and he's going to be under your feet when he goes. Like the victory is going to come through his people. And we find this phrase that Paul often uses as he wraps up his letters. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So if you read many of Paul's letters, this is kind of the, usually one of the last phrases that he uses. But Paul's not quite done yet. We mentioned that chapter 16 is a bit of a postscript of the entire message of the book of Romans. And the postscript began with Paul giving some shout outs to the people in Rome. Hey, tell so-and-so I said hi and give so-and-so a hug for me. Tell her I love her. Go honor him like he gives a bunch of shout outs to the people in Rome. So remember, Paul's writing this from the city of Corinth to the people in Rome. And he says, tell them all I said hi and I love them. So that's how he started this. But now he's going to give some shout outs from several people in Corinth. So the first was to the people in Rome say so and so. I tell them I said hi to all of these people in Rome. Now he's going to go. So-and-so from Corinth says hi to you, okay? So the first list was to, the second list is from. It's kind of like when your mother calls and you got her on the phone and she says, hey, uh, tell the kids that I love them and I can't wait to see them soon. And you hold the phone out. Grandma says she loves you and she'll see you soon. So that's what's happening here, Okay. And he begins the list like this. The, again, there are so many amazing stories tied up in these names. Timothy, my coworker, sends you greetings, sends greetings to you. So again, Timothy's there with Paul in Corinth, writing to Rome and says, hey, Timothy says hi. Now, if you've been around church world very long, you've been in the scriptures very much, then you know the name of Timothy. He was a disciple that Paul uh, led to the Lord and actually joined Paul on many of his missionary journeys. In fact, several of the letters that Paul wrote in your New Testament list Timothy as if he was a co-author of the letters. 
from Paul and Timothy. And so he's writing many of these. He has two letters in your New Testament written to him. Paul wrote Timothy two letters, and they became the word of God for us. So Timothy is a big deal all throughout scripture. And so no surprise that he's there with Paul and says, hey, Timothy says hi to you guys. Then we have Lucius. Now, there's a, a few Luciuses in the New Testament. Acts 13, I think, is probably this guy. So in Acts 13, there was a guy named Lucius from Cyrene. And he's part of the church in uh, Antioch. So when Paul first came to faith, the first place that he got plugged in with at a church was in Antioch. And he was a part of this small group there that we are told in Acts 13, they were all praying together in the spirit. There was Paul and Barnabas and Lucius and a few other guys, and they're worshiping and they're praying in the spirit. And the text says in that moment, the Holy Spirit came down into that group and spoke to them and said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. And the rest of the group laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out on the first missionary journey. And part of the, that small group was Lucius. He was there when God first called Paul into the ministry. Then we have Jason. How many of you all knew that Jason was a Bible name? Jason didn't even raise his hand over there. I see that. Yes, Jason is a Bible name. His story is like this. He, again, he's found in the book of Acts that when Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica, they stayed at Jason's house. So Jason hosted them when they came into the city. And as often happens when Paul goes into a city, he raised a ruckus, right? And people got mad at Paul for what he was doing. And eventually they come hunting Paul down. Well, Paul was staying at Jason's house. So they, the whole crew went to Jason's house to find Paul, but Paul was hiding and Jason was stuck there by himself. And so they drug Jason out of the, of his house took him before the magistrates and, and said he was causing the ruckus. And they, they were lashing out all of these charges and the magistrates finally said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Jason, you got to pay a fine. You got to put a, you got to put a deposit down telling us you aren't going to raise a ruckus no more. So he had to pay the penalty for Paul raising a ruckus. So that was Jason. And now he's there in Corinth with Paul. And he says, hey, everybody, Jason says hi. And then we have Sosipater. And the only thing we know about him is what we read right here, that he was a believer who was a fellow Jew with Paul. This next name is one of the most amazing in all of scripture to me. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. How many of you all have ever heard the name Tertius? Anybody? Anybody? No, I didn't think so. Yet, he is actually the person who put pen to parchment that gave us the book of Romans. Again, like we said last week, some of the most important ministry is done by people whose name you will never know. Think of all of the 
millions and millions of people who have come to faith by revivals that have come from the book of Romans. And it was Tertius who wrote it. What's unusual here is that Tertius, as he's writing, he peeks out from behind the curtain and says, hi, it's me. Like all of the, look at that whole list. All the other pronouns are my and I and my and I. And it's all like it's Paul talking. But then he gets to this one and Tertius says, hi, it's actually me. I'm writing this down. Just wanted to give a shout out. And then the very next verse is back to being Paul again. But it's actually Tertius who's writing it all. Paul is dictating this letter and Tertius is writing it down. But there, right here, he he steps out of character and speaks for himself, which is amazing. Hopefully one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to say, hey, thanks for that. Like his name's been there the whole time and you never heard it. Gatius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. So there's a few Gatius in scripture. I have a feeling this is the one who is listed in 1 Corinthians as one of the only people Paul baptized there. If you remember, the letter of 1 Corinthians was a bit of a rebuke. Paul was kind of chastising that church all throughout. And one point he gets frustrated and says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you people. Well, I, there was a few. There was so-and-so and so and Gatius. I remember that. But I don't remember if there's anybody else. There might have been, but I don't know. But that's not my job. Like, he kind of got a little frustrated there. But he lists Gatius as one of the people and he baptized in the city of Corinth. And so writing from Corinth, he says, oh, and Gatius says hi too. And then we get Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. And our brother, Cordus, they send you their greetings. Now, when we get to this name, Erastus, we're told that he's the director of public works. Or maybe it was the treasurer, some type of high-level administration in the city and here's what's amazing about Erastus. In 1929, excavations in the city of Corinth discovered a Latin stone, a big, large Latin stone with seven-inch letters on it, which these, they were carved out and originally filled with bronze, and it says on it, Erastus, in return for his idolship, laid this pavement at his own expense. So it's a dedication stone in, in Corinth from the guy who paid to have this big giant patio laid in the city. This high level, and you can see it, E-R-A-S-T-U-S. -S. And I just think it continually amazes me that the more archaeological evidence is done, the more truth about scripture is confirmed. The book of Romans ends with what is known as a doxology. A doxology is simple, uh, simply a fancy way of saying praise or glory that's given to God. And frankly, this doxology could have been a whole lot simpler than it is. Like literally the doxology part is at the beginning of verse 25 and verse the end of verse 27. Here's the entire doxology. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Like that's the praise piece. That's the doxology part. 
But if you got your Bible open, you'll notice it's a big old giant run-on sentence because Paul's a preacher and he can't make it simple for us. And in this, in this doxology, Paul has to recap the whole message that brings out the doxology. And so here's his recap. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with, his, with my gospel. Now here's his summary of the gospel. The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. Like the gospel, don't miss this. The gospel is about Jesus. The good news is all about Jesus. It's his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. Eternal life is given through Jesus. The spirit is given by Jesus for those who are in Jesus. The message of Romans is all about Jesus. That's his message. That's his gospel. It isn't about us. It's about him. There's no other name in heaven or earth by which we must be saved. It's all about Jesus. And he says, so in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, like this gospel about Jesus, once people didn't get it, they didn't understand what this Messiah was going to be, but then Jesus showed up. And all of the revelation of the mystery was downloaded to Paul by Jesus himself. It was revealed and made known all through the prophetic writings, the writings of the apostles. It has been revealed. It wasn't made up by man. It was given to man. And now it's available to everyone, everywhere. And why does it made available for everyone, everywhere? Here's why. Because of the command of the eternal God. Like it's for everyone everywhere because God commands it to be for everyone everywhere. We have a mission to take it to everyone everywhere. Commanded by the eternal God. It is the gospel for everyone. God wants people to know and understand how to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. And why does God Want everyone to hear so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. That's why Paul shares this gospel, specifically in Rome, so that all of the Gentiles could come to the obedience that comes from faith. Don't miss this line. Obedience that comes from faith. We're at the very end of the book of Romans. And if you remember way back 10 months ago, this is exactly where the whole thing started. Remember chapter 1, verse 5? Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. There is an obedience that comes from faith. That's what the gospel produces in us. Don't, don't mix these up. It's not faith that comes from obedience. That'll never get you saved. It is the obedience that comes from faith. But these two go hand in hand. One is the root, the other is the fruit. And if you don't have obedience as your fruit, it's a, it's a picture, it's a warning that you don't have faith as your fruit, as your root. Like these two things go together. If you have one, you have to have the other. And Paul says, that's my mission. It's to make sure that everybody has an obedience that comes from their faith. 
Paul ends by reminding this church and reminding us that there is one who is to be praised. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Who gets all the glory forever? Who is it? That's right. It's our God through Jesus who gets all the glory forever. And Paul ends this letter of the book of Romans by lifting up our eyes to a world who's always looking to gain the glory. Paul reminds us there's only one who gets the glory, and he gets it forever. And it's God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to end our time. We're going to end our time together by doing exactly what Paul does. We're going to end by praising God, by being reminded that he gets all the glory, by lifting up a doxology of our own. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have given us this, this powerful book of the Bible, this amazing gospel that has been declared and revealed to us through your people including the Apostle Paul. And my prayer is that it would change us, that it would produce in us an obedience that comes from faith. God, do your work in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.